Hey, everybody, this is Brian from The Union, and this is The Union Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm super pumped as I sit down with Dr. Greg Allison, and we discuss his new book, Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. And um, Dr. Allison, he is a has a PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he's written several, several really amazing theological books on and and in this book embodied he does an amazing amount of research from the bible and from from other other resources to really bring clarity on the importance of the body and how our biology does matter and that the truth is that we don't just have bodies that we are bodies and god has created us that way for a reason and uh, in this conversation today we discuss kind of the overview of the the doctrine of being embodied or the doctrine, the teaching of of the body and God's design for the body. But we also go in and we talk about how God's design um, now fits into our context today as we're dealing with, with issues of transgenderism and gender dysphoria and how this truth can actually bring a lot of freedom and healing and reconciliation for people who might be struggling in this area. So I encourage you, uh, open up your heart today. It was such a great conversation. Dr. Allison is an amazing man, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with him. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Greg. You're listening to The Union Podcast. The Union exists to bring biblical confidence and clarity to the topics of relationships and sexuality. On this podcast, we unpack the damaging effects of modern sex culture and discuss how to heal from the past and enrich your relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian and Bonnie Pugh. All right, Dr. Allison, thank you so much for joining us here on The Union Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Brian, thank you for your invitation. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, so we uh, we came across your book, and I, I am honestly so excited. Um, I'm so passionate about this this topic, but um, I'm thankful that somebody has has written and 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 has done a, a extensive amount of study on this. Um, your book, Embodied, I think, is going to be a real tool and a real um, impacting message to the people around us, which we're going to, we're going to jump into today, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your family, your life, ministry, just, just who are you and you know, what, what are you passionate about? Uh, my wife and I uh, have been married for 45 years. My wife, Nora, um, wonderful woman, and uh, we have three adult children and 11 grandchildren. Um, we make our home in Louisville, Kentucky. I teach uh, systematic theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Wow. Um, I love to write. And so Embodied is my latest book. And I love to do podcasts and uh, we'll really look forward to engaging with your audience today. Yeah, well, we're very thankful. We're very thankful for that. So you're also a pastor of Sojourn Community Church. Tell us how, how that came about. So in 2009, my wife and I were part of the midwives team that gave birth to a second congregation uh, off of uh, Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Cool. And so we're at Sojourn East. So we're a family of six churches, Amazing. Uh, autonomous, independent churches that collaborate on things like uh, church planting and reaching our city for Christ and Love things it. like that. The pastors collaborate in terms of preparation of sermons and uh, just uh, iron sharpening iron and things like that. And so I've been a, an elder pastor there uh, for about 11, 12 years. Amazing. 
Amazing. So this, this, what we're talking about is not just a, a theory of anything you've, you've carried this, this doctrinal truth and in, in kind of the, the ground level where the rubber hits the road, um, with people walking with people. So I know, I know this is going to be a great conversation. So, um, as I was reading your book, you mentioned in the dedication to your wife, Nora, right at the very beginning that this was the book that you've longed to write. Tell us why, um, this message of embodied is, is so important to you. About 25 years ago, as I was beginning my teaching career, I was at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and a student walked into my office, and uh, he was complaining about a number of uh, physical problems, uh, gastrointestinal problems, sleep issues, excretory problems, headaches, lack Mm -hmm. of concentration, and he really appealed to me, so what are the spiritual problems at the heart of these symptoms? And I asked him a series of questions. What are you eating? How are you exercising, resting, sleeping, and things like that? And he basically blew me off. Those questions were irrelevant to him. I mean, the body is just uh, a a thing that we have. Uh, It's a shell that surrounds our soul. It's going to be sloughed off at death. So why be concerned at all about the body? Why dedicate any time to eating well, exercising, and all and uh, I said, but I really think your problem are physical ones. You are, your body is literally breaking down before you. You're no longer going to be good for yourself, your spouse, your kids, the mm-hmm. seminary uh, studies, the future ministry for which you're preparing. And, uh, and, and he was not very pleased with that answer. And so got up, got up and left. But that wow. kind of put me in this crisis. Like, so I'm a seminary professor the student wants something from the word of God about life in the physical body, and I had nothing to give, give to him. So that propelled me to research in scripture and in good theology, what is life in the body all about? Yeah, that's amazing. It's, I do find it so interesting, and I'd love to hear your perspective on, on kind of why you see or how you see we got here. But in the church, there tends to be this emphasis on the spirit, and especially depending what stream you're in, if you're in a more charismatic stream or something like that, then there's going to be a lot of emphasis on spiritual dimensions. Um, but then also like a lot of the soul, but then it's, it's exactly like you said that we do write off the, the value of the body, or we see a little bit of value in it, but it's like way, way down the list. How do you think that we got here in this kind of perspective? Centuries before Christ lived, uh, various secular philosophies really emphasized the inherent goodness of the immaterial aspect of us, our spirit or our soul, mm-hmm. and emphasized uh, the inherent evilness of material aspect of our body. Right. So this we could trace back to Plato. Uh, and then I think this Platonic uh, philosophy infected the early church through a movement called Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. This idea, again, that uh, the spiritual part of us is of infinite value and must be nourished. And our material aspect, our body is inherently evil. And so salvation is the escape of our soul from our body. So we discount the body, we disparage the body, we certainly don't give any consideration to our bodies. And uh, so I think this is a problem that precedes even Christ coming and uh, becoming incarnate, which is interesting, right? Uh, and has infected the church for about 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Now, why, why do you, like maybe for some of our listeners who wouldn't be familiar with that term Gnosticism, what, why is it so dangerous and why, why does it diverge or why does it deviate from the biblical worldview and biblical teaching? Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis or knowledge. And so the Gnostic heresies believe that the elite Christians were those who possessed this secret knowledge. And a lot of this secret knowledge had to do with um, emphasizing the soul or the spirit, spiritual disciplines and things like that, and really not caring that much about the body, you know, disparaging the body. Gnosticism was such a bad movement that it denied that the eternal son of God, obviously eternally spirit and therefore inherently eternally good, denied that he could become a human being, take on flesh take on human uh, physical nature, which is inherently evil. And and so Gnosticism denied the incarnation of Mm. Jesus Christ uh, and then salvation through him. Uh, So it became a very dangerous movement. And then, like I said, infected the church in terms of its view of uh, human embodiment. Right, right. And I think, you know, that just comes to mind. Like, that's why John writes that he even compares to those of you reject that Jesus came in the body. I think it's in first John. But that's actually an anti-Christ message, right? He's very clear on that. First John 4, uh, 1 through 3, exactly. Yeah. That is the spirit of antichrist, denial that Jesus became incarnate, yeah. which would lead to a denial of Jesus being resurrected, would lead to a denial of we Christians having our ultimate hope in the resurrection, leading us to uh, deny that the uh, future hope that we have is a new heaven and new earth, which is yeah. a physical place. Yeah, absolutely. So that's very quickly we can kind of see how this this is not just a little um a little thought or like a little problem. This is a big problem if if this starts to seep into our lives that um it has it has huge uh consequences, right? Yes, it does. And it even goes to the very fact of how God has designed us as, as his image bearers. Mm-hmm. If image bearing only has to do with our spirit or our soul, right, then we can disparage, we can neglect, we can disregard our body. But as I read Genesis chapter one, I think as our listeners would read it, when God creates man in his image, in the image of God, he creates him, right? What does he create? He creates physical image bearers, embodied image bearers. Mm -hmm. There's an entire realm of created beings, angels, who do not have bodies, who are immaterial, who are spiritual by God's design, but God has created us, his human image bearers to be physical, to be embodied. And that's by God's design. If we reject that, we're Mm -hmm. rejecting the way God has created us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's this kind of underlying thought sometimes too, that it's not that we are our body, it's that we, we have a body. So it's, it's almost that our body is more tolerated and it, and yet in the, in the reality is, is that scripture shows that we are our body. How, how do you see it? And how, how does scripture kind of unpack this reality that we're not just uh, a spiritual being who's putting up with a body, but we actually are our body. Again, going back to Genesis one, how did God create us? Mm-hmm. Not as spiritual being, beings to which were added a body, Right, but as embodied human beings, just look at Genesis chapter two, verse seven. God creates out of the dust of the ground 
the material aspect, the bodily aspect of Adam, and then breathes into Adam the breath of life. So Adam, from the very get-go, by God's design, is a soul body or spirit body integrated being, human mm-hmm. being. And so that's that's very important to, uh, to understand. Um, and then if we uh, disregard that, again, we're, we're disparaging the way that God has created us, saying, no, this mm-hmm. is not the way we should have been designed. And so this idea, we are our body, not we have our body. Like we have possessions, we have money, we have jobs. Those are things that are all external to us. Yeah. But my body's not external to me. I am my body. Mm-hmm. Right? If you and I changed, exchanged bodies, we would be completely different human beings. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't have a body. I am my body. But again, importantly, that's by God's design uh, as his embodied image bearers. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think, you know, there's, there's this kind of theological term that maybe some of our, our listeners might not be completely familiar with, but it's the law of first mention. And so it's like, anytime you look into scriptures and you see something mentioned for the first time, it's kind of setting the template. And it's exactly what you're, you're saying that in Genesis one, you know, the, the, the Godhead says to, to themselves, right? Like the father says to the son and the Holy spirit, like, Hey, let's make humanity in our image. Right. So, and, and I think now we carry that mark as triune beings, body, soul, and spirit. Um, that's just such a powerful reality. Now, um, I think we're seeing such an increase in, in anxiety and an increase in, um, uh, how would you say this? It's like in, in our life, like we're, we're seeing an increase in depression and increase in anxiety and fear and, and so much is going on. And, and as I've been observing it, like I, I look at it and I think some people are re- rejecting the pattern of rest and a pattern of of Sabbath in some ways that you're actually called to rest. Now we live in a culture that's just like, you better go, go, go perform, perform, perform. How do you see this message of, of God's design for the body um, really leading to human flourishing in this area? Uh, Wow. That's, that's a huge question. Lots to say (laughs) about that. So we've just talked about God's creation of us is his image bearer. So uh, God decides to create a being more like him than in any other being that would be his image bearer. So God created man in his image in, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue mm-hmm. it and exercise dominion over the rest of the created order. So we've got this mandate to expand the human race through procreation which takes embodied human beings. Yeah. We also are to subdue the earth, exercise dominion over. We are to work in a vocation. That's a very physical activity, requires embodied human beings. And then God says, right, there's also rest that's developed from the very beginning in Genesis chapter two. God's not exhausted in the way that he would need to rest, but God works for six days and then he enjoys a rest. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to us too as embodied people engaging in the multiplication of the human race and then working in a vocation that we are to build into our lives a regular pattern of rest. And so Mm -hmm. God has designed us as his embodied uh, image bears for flourishing, building society, working, multiplying, and also resting. And many in our tribes, right, have real difficulty with that idea of rest. Oh, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, as a pastor speaking to (laughs) another pastor, somebody's, you know, been in ministry for, for, um, substantial amount of time. It's just that, that is almost, 
man, it's almost like you're, you're not fulfilling the will of God if you're resting, you know what I mean? And especially, you know, in my stream that might be a little bit more, you know, charismatic in some ways, it's just like, um, man, you're just not spiritual. If, if you feel like you need to rest, it's just like, um, when in reality, like to be a, to be a whole human and to be effective, not just for a little blip on the radar, but to be doing God's will for the long term, you know what I mean? This pattern of rest needs to be established. So it's that that's super well said, right? The, the Christian life. And then for those of us in Christian ministry, it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's not a sprint. Yeah. And marathoners have to pace themselves. Right. And, and so we as Christians need to pace ourselves in if we're in ministry. We need to pace ourselves. It's no good if we burn out after three years or uh, 13 yep. years, right? Absolutely. So we have to pace ourselves. And God has given us this idea of rest and sleep. Scientific studies show great importance of sleep. You know, most people require seven to eight hours. But we have this idea, if I'm not working for the Lord 24-7, then his will will not be accomplished. His kingdom cannot come because right. we're absolutely indispensable. But when we sleep, when we rest, we communicate to ourselves, to others, and to God, mm-hmm. God, your will is going to be is going to be done. Your kingdom is going to be is going to come even when I'm resting. And, and right. you've built in rest so that I would flourish and be able to serve you all of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, I can speak to that too, because um, as my wife, Bonnie, and I kind of started over the last couple of years really working in that pattern of rest, we realized. And I don't know if we had heard it somewhere, but it's like that, that pattern of rest is almost, it's a purposeful crucifixion of the pride of accomplishment. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, it just does blow your mind that it's actually an act of humility saying that, that I'm not the center of, of this existence. And there's just some things that, that God is going to have to accomplish and that God is still going to have to be God. So. I, I totally agree with you. I yeah. couldn't say it better. Yep. Yeah. It, it is. There's a humility. There's a crucifixion. It's dying to self. You know, God's will, God's kingdom is going to be fine mm-hmm. even yeah. when I'm sleeping. Yeah, exactly. And I think as a dad too, it's like my, my kids, you know, we have, we have six boys. I don't know if I mentioned that to you, but we've got quite the posse here of, of kids. And I go like, they need me to be a whole human being. They need me to be, um, to be a present human being and to not be depleted. And, you know, like, and what does that show them that I'm, I'm dying over here for the purposes of God and they're paying the price for it because they don't get, they don't get their dad, you know? Exactly. Why do we say bigger is better? Why do we say more numbers, right? Is more godly. I don't think it is. What, what has God assigned us to do? What are our responsibilities, our duties? If we discharge those in the amount of time that God gives us, I believe that God is fully pleased with us. Mm-hmm. It's when we are lazy or slothful and don't do his will. That's a problem. But we can also become workaholics and do far too much. We never say no. We're not good for our kids. We don't even do good job in ministry because we're so tired. We're so angry that we're, our schedule is so compressed. We, we, we're, we're sacrificing God's will in that case too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break here and then uh, we're going to come back and we're going to pick it up and talk about a kind of a hot topic issue of transgenderism and gender dysphoria. So we'll be back in just a few moments. 
Hello, this is Bonnie with the Union Movement. We just wanted to let you know that if you are a leader of a ministry or of a local church and you'd like some support in leading your people through the minefields of sexual confusion and shame and brokenness, you can feel free to reach out to us at info at theunionmovement.com. And if you feel inspired to financially partner with the union so that we can continue to develop resources and support local churches, you can visit www.theunionmovement.com where you will find a link to donate online. And we just want to give a huge thank you out to everyone who has already donated, either with a one-time gift or as a monthly donor. We All exist right, because so we're of the back generosity and we're, of we're talking here with Dr. Like Greg you. Allison, and um, we're gonna we're gonna step into a little bit of a hot topic conversation here. This is something that is very relevant uh, to where we're living today. And you know, Dr. Allison, we talked about Gnosticism in the first half of this conversation, and you know, today is as, as we're facing so much, uh, there's so many loud voices on the topic of transgenderism and gender dysphoria. What, what aspect does Gnosticism play in gender dysphoria and in the modern day, uh, transgenderism conversation? So, uh, yeah, in our contemporary situation, we're faced now with neo-Gnosticism, this idea, maybe it's not the body is inherently evil, but the body is not as important as Mm-hmm. Uh, our real self, whatever that is. Right. And so neo-Gnosticism is contributing to this uh, contemporary situation by emphasizing you are what you imagine yourself to be, right? There are no givens, particularly no physical fundamentals fundamentals right. that, that determine who we are. We are autonomous human beings. We are self-determining we imagine who we are, what we are, what mm-hmm. gender we are. That's the real uh, us. And right. uh, embodiment just says, no, there, there are fundamental givens of life, like our embodiment, like our gender. Mm-hmm. And you can't just imagine otherwise. Right, right. And I, I did want to preface this, too. And I understand that there might be people who are listening who, you know, they they are struggling in this area that somehow they feel this disconnect from their body. And, you know, and they're really confused by because like the, the voices are so loud in today's culture that you have to if you even feel a little bit of, you know, disconnection from your body or you're confused on your gender, the the best solution is just to jump full on and just jump knee deep into transgenderism and, and just embrace it without ever questioning it or seeking out counsel. And so I want to be just very clear that we are so compassionate uh, to those who are struggling and, and that Jesus is compassionate to those who struggle. Like my goodness, he's, he's been very compassionate to a heterosexual white male right here on this screen, you know, with my struggles with, with sexuality and, and, um, and so I want to make that just really clear. Um, But you know, Dr. Allison, how, how does the message of embodied and the scriptures, you know, speak to the topic of gender? Like that's probably a really good, good place to start. Yeah, so much to say on this. Um, I, I would want to say to, to start with that, that God uh, has designed us according to his perfect and wise and good plan mm-hmm. to be both embodied and to be the gender that uh, that we are right. Uh, so God. So for our listeners, particularly for any adolescents listening, uh, God has designed you to be the girl or young woman, the boy or young man that you are, mm-hmm. and 
your body always tells the truth. Right. Right. Um, you may feel pressure to be a gender opposite of what you are. You may feel a lot of applause if you start thinking about yeah. transgendering and things like that. I would just really appeal to you to think about how God has designed you. Your body always tells the truth mm-hmm. to listen to counsel of your parents, your pastors, yeah. counselors and things like that. They really do have your best interests at heart. And I know, I mean, we all go through puberty. We go all go through adolescence. It is a real hard time. Right. I do want to say that the vast majority of you adolescents, even as you struggle with gender dysphoria and wondering, should I be a boy or girl opposite of what I am, mm-hmm. that you will eventually move out of that and you will embrace God's design, God's mm-hmm. embodiment for your life. Don't rush it. Try to you know, repulse those voices that yell at you to, to change who you really are. Think of God's design for you. Your body always tells the truth. Listen to your counselors, to your wise uh, counselors, and, and don't rush into things that you can never undo, uh, mm-hmm. like transgender surgery, uh, gender mm-hmm. replacement surgery, hormone treatment. It will destroy your life. And mm-hmm. uh, Brian, you and I are express the compassion of the Lord. We don't want our listeners to destroy themselves. Absolutely. Please don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even in chapter two, where you write on the gendered body, you even give some stats too, because this is actually, you know, really helpful, even on that part where you're talking about, you're going through adolescence and your body's exposed to hormones that were not there in the early part of your year and it can, or the early part of your life. And it can feel really heavy and it can feel really confusing, but you even gave some stats too, that the majority um, of young people who would maybe feel that gender dysphoria as they did get out of, um, as they did get out of that adolescence year that they did identify with their, their biological body. Do you remember just off the top of your head, the actual stats on that? Yeah. uh, Boys who struggle with uh, gender dysphoria are confused about their gender thinking about maybe I'm a really a girl in a boy's body. I think it's somewhere between 95 and 98% of you in just in a few years, right, will just naturally grow out of that. For Mm -hmm. girls uh, thinking, you know, struggling with transgenderism and and, uh, gender dysphoria, um, thinking that they may be a boy inside the girl's body, about 88% of you will Mm -hmm. uh, grow out of it in just a couple of years. Stats are so cold, are so, right, uh, right, impersonal. But yeah. but all those stats represent people, real people. Mm-hmm. You are going through a really hard period of, of your life. And uh, but we don't want you to complicate matters by rushing into decisions that we know you're going to regret later. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, there- and the idea, you know, like hormone replacement uh, um, treatment and uh, puberty blockers, uh, sex reassignment surgery. Uh, they, they, these measures, these radical measures have not proven to give satisfaction and no. comfort to people. Uh, still, people who go, go through transgender surgery and things like that, you're talking suicidal rates in the 40 to 50 percent. Yeah, it, there's not a, there's not satisfaction and uh, and a release from anxiety on the other end of this. It's it's mm-hmm. a promise that people make, but it's an empty promise. Don't listen to it. Yeah. 
And I think too, like with, with the message that the union really focus on, focuses on is God's design for sexuality. And, and as we've seen over the years, um, the sexual intensity within our culture has, has really um, skyrocketed in a lot of ways. Obviously the epidemic of pornography and everything has that effect in that, but we can see the pressure on young, young girls to be primarily sexual and, and then when you mix that with the in kind of encouraged cultural encourage culturally encouraged um predatory nature um of of young men to like just act upon your sexual desires and women just exist for for your sexual satisfaction we can kind of see the connection that this is why a lot of young girls are just like i don't i don't want to be treated as just a sexual object so if I say that I'm actually maybe even lesbian, or if I say that I'm, I'm transgender, that actually creates a wall. So therefore I don't know, I don't have to try to open up my heart to a man when I'm not safe. And like, do you see, do you see that in culture as well? Absolutely. I think you've described it really, really well. Um, I, I know again, to our adolescent uh, audience. I know there are uh, feelings and attitudes and hormones and bodily functions, right, that are kicking in that are very, very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the society, our society says, really emphasizes our sexuality. I'd like our listeners to think about rather than our sexuality, our relationality. Hmm. That God has designed us in these ways to be attracted to other people and yeah. to want to give ourselves. It's not for sexual pleasure. It's for the community and bonding and friendship mm-hmm. that and relationships that, that God has designed us for. And we, we get these feelings, we get these attitudes, and we get these even bodily impressions because it's pushing us to be in community. Let's yeah. do that and, and resist the, uh, the, the voices of our society, which keep saying, well, this you need to be sexual to experience yeah. this. No, you don't. Yeah. That sexuality is, again, by God's design, beautifully reserved for one man and one woman. Mm-hmm. So wait on that. But please do press into others in terms yeah. of relationships. Love people well. Open yourself up to others and enjoy that friendship and bonding. Mm-hmm. And I, I still remember my, my adolescent years. My best friends probably ever in my life were from that period. You can do this, but yeah. it's relationships, not sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. So good. Um, and I, th- I think too, like as, as those who follow Christ and who who really want to represent him well, how do we respond to in this conversation specifically around the notion that there are more than two genders? Because there's, there's people that we care about, or there's people who are even family members who, who are struggling. And this, like I said, this voice can be so, so loud. How do you see Christians responding to this, to the, in this conversation? Yeah. So let's make a distinction between two words, sex and gender. Sex is biology. Sex is physiology. Sex Mm -hmm. is physicality. Sex is genetic. Sex is XX for girls and XY for boys. X X for women, XY for men. And uh, God in designing the world, as we read in Genesis 1, there's a lot of binarities, right? Mm -hmm. There's heaven and earth. Right. Uh, there's a uh, sun and moon. There's the waters above. There's waters below. There's day and night. There's light and day. Um, and then there's male and female. So God has designed human beings in this binary 
pattern of creation. So we're either male or female. Mm. That's the biblical perspective, just from the genetic perspective, right? Sex is XX or XY, it's physiology, it's, it's, it's the way God has built us. And as I said before, our body always tells the truth. Right. So, right, right. We, we can know that. Gender then becomes this uh, kind of social construction. You know, we imagine ourselves, even though I'm a man, I imagine myself to be a woman, right? Uh, my wife being a woman, she imagines herself to be a man. But then we're not confined to just binaries. We can imagine ourselves to be bisexual or polyamorous mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, lots. I think it's uh, Facebook that has 75 different gender categories. Oh, wow. So, so again, we need to understand our society is saying, just imagine whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. But again, our body always tells the truth. God has yep. designed us in one or two ways. And, and the beauty of God's design, which is a pattern of all creation, is for the flourishing of human beings. It's for our listeners flourishing. It's for their best. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things we said on the podcast, too, is that the absence and presence of testosterone plays a huge aspect. And so within, within society, and I think these are just in some ways societal stereotypes, is like, to be a, a man is that you're type A and you bench press a lot and you you can chug a beer really fast. You know what I mean? Like you're a yeah. man, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's just such a narrow perspective on what, and I don't even think that's a, like, you won't find chapter and verse for that in the Bible. Like it, it's almost all cultural, isn't it? It is. You know, so here in Kentucky, men uh, smoke cigars and they have guns and go hunting and they have right. big trucks. I don't do any of those things. Right. I'm not concerned about whether that means I'm a woman, right? No, 100%. So we have a lot of cultural stereotypes. And I ask our listeners, no, reject those cultural stereotypes. Right. If you're a man and you like to bake and, and you want to be in ballet, there's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing uh, particularly feminine or masculine about truck driving, hunting, uh, cooking, baking, and ballet, right? Absolutely. It's, 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 there's no such thing as a manly man or a womanly woman. We're men and women. Right. And there are no human capacities or no human properties that are unique to men and women outside of our reproductive mm-hmm. capabilities, gentleness and compassion and initiative, yeah. right? And self-sacrifice. These are common human virtues. These are right. fruits of the spirit that are common to men and women. So let's not get pressed into our cultural stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a boy, what it means to be a woman Mm -hmm. or a girl. Exactly. And I think, you know, as Christians, we see in the life of Jesus, that Jesus was, he was an intense guy. You know what I mean? Like he was, it always boggles my mind that he was sitting there fashioning a whip when he was clearing the temple. It's just like, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Can you imagine being around Jesus and he's fashioning this whip? Like, Hey, Jesus, like, what are you doing there? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. He was ready. He was ready for business. And then when Lazarus dies, he's just overcome with emotion, you know, and we want to, we would want to say that, that that kind of overcoming of, of emotion or that expression of emotion is feminine. And it's because like Jesus never sacrifice his feminine, like his masculinity, excuse me, you know, in, in that express expression of emotion. The idea men don't cry. Yeah. It's, it's just a cultural stereotype. Jesus yeah. cried. That didn't make him a woman. Jesus yeah. was compassionate, gentle. He loved little children and blessed them. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 he um, cleansed his, washed his disciples feet. He yeah. served them. Right. He, he was compassionate to the poor, to the marginalized. And all that. 
those are not masculine or feminine qualities or characteristics. They're, yeah. they're Jesus, right? They're attitudes and actions and behaviors of Jesus. Therefore, they are for all of us, aren't they? hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and I think like that, that, that dialogue around, you know, real men don't cry. And I think there's so many things going on in our culture today that actually should cause men to cry. You know what I mean? Like, if, if we don't cry, it, it, something's got to be wrong, I think, with our, our moral mm-hmm. and emotional compass. Yeah. If we don't weep over the state of people who are suffering, who mm-hmm. are confused, who are yeah. addicted, who are marginalized, if we're not weeping over that, mm-hmm. uh, something I think is really amiss with us, with our heart. Yeah. And and we we need to be have that kind of compassion, all of us. Totally. And and I'll never forget um when my senior pastor said to me, because he does a lot of marriage counseling and and he just said, like, Brian, why is it that the men always cry after? You know, they yeah. were never emotionally vulnerable during their marriage, and now the train wreck of their marriage has taken place, and unfortunately things break down, and then that's when they're they're vulnerable. And that's just like man, if we could just be emotionally present and, and just be that, that walking in that type of vulnerability, I think we'd be the real type of men that, um, that women would respect or wives would respect. And, and yeah, conversation goes on for sure. But Isaiah 63 talks about God being afflicted when his people are afflicted. Uh, and, And then he moves to comfort them. Right. Yeah. And, and we see Jesus weeping. Right. And, and mm-hmm. Jesus washing the disciples feet and caring for little kids. Right. And being moved with compassion. Mm-hmm. Right. All these are proper for all uh, God's yeah. redeemed image bearers to express this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, at the union, like obviously we're, we're a biblical centered, gospel centered organization. And that's why this podcast exists is to bring clarity to these topics. And so um, how, how does the gospel of Jesus specifically give hope for those who are in a legitimate struggle with gender in a legitimate struggle with, um, the disconnect between their body and, or what they feel to be their body and who they, who they are. It begins with the eternal son of God, who, according to the divine plan about 2000 years ago, became a real and full human being. And he Mm -hmm. took on a human body, human mind, will, emotions, the fullness of human nature, including a human body. And he he died. He was crucified as an embodied human being, divine savior. And he rose again. And and he's the one who has provided salvation for us who are embodied, gendered human beings. And he's died and risen again for People for fallen human beings, no matter what their struggles are, any kind of addictions, any kind of embezzlement at work, pride, suffering, uh, uh, gender dysphoria, homosexual tendencies, SSA, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it might be, uh, God in Christ has provided the way for all fallen human beings to hearing the gospel, to embrace this loving eternal son of God, who is the God man who died and rose again on our our behalf. He is the compassionate one who longs to bring us back into uh, his family and then renew us as fully embodied gendered human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something that comes to mind too is in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus being our compassionate high priest. And so he's able 
because he's lived the human experience, which is part of his qualification as a high priest, he had to be of his people. Like this is now how he's able to help those who, who are struggling, you know? And I think this is, this is so important for us to remember. Uh, the sensations, the attitudes, the anxieties that we all feel, right? Jesus mm-hmm. lived a full human existence yeah, and uh, never once giving in to temptation, always being the sinless one so that he could be the perfect high priest who died for us. Yeah, But he fully understands us. Remember, we cave into our temptations and our trials. We just yeah. give up. Right. Jesus fought against them fully yeah. to the end. He understands us to the very depths of our being. Yeah. And, and he's the provider for our salvation. Yeah, come on. So good. <laughs> oh man. So I guess maybe on this last part is like, how do you see the church um, being a place that's that's safe for these people who are struggling, people who are are fighting this fight, or at least want to fight this fight? Um, how do you see the church being able to journey with people in these struggles while staying faithful to the truth and the design of being embodied? I think most churches need to wake up to the reality that they have adolescent uh, uh, boys and girls in their midst who are struggling with uh, gender dysphoria, with questions about their sexuality, Mm -hmm. Uh, some who are thinking about transgendering through sex reassignment surgery. I think the church needs to wake up and understand that there are church people that struggle with this. Yeah. Secondly, then the church needs to be a loving community, which is not shocked by anything. Yeah. Come on. Right. And and ready to be compassionate, willing to walk alongside of adolescents, adults, whatever the case may be, not just for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, but for years, Mm -hmm. right. Coming alongside of them compassionately and with love, never compromising biblical truth, but full of love, helping disciple, bring people along to the fullness of the Christian life and, and are willing to do that, cost whatever it might might cost. Yeah. And, and provide, like you said, a safe place where people walk into the church and say, I know this is a loving community. I can be utterly transparent, completely vulnerable. Let what uh, people know exactly what I'm struggling with. They won't be shocked and they'll say, you know what, mm. here's what I'm struggling with. Can we walk together? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think obviously we, we can be, we can have the right motivation that we want to see transformation in people's lives, but sometimes we can, we can push too hard to try to be the instrument of tra- transformation instead of letting Jesus being the instrument of, tra- of transformation. And, and I heard somebody say once that it's really hard for people to reject the values um, it's, it's hard for people to reject the, the values of those who really love them. And we want people to think right. We want people to behave, you know, according to the scriptures and live according to the word of God, especially as pastors, this is our heart, you know, right. But we need to understand that it's Jesus. It's Jesus who changes people's lives. And so our question must be, what is the Lord doing in this particular person's life right now? Yeah. Because I'm going to come alongside that person at this moment and come alongside participating in that person's life with what the Lord is doing and not imposing my own ideals too quickly or lagging behind the Lord's will, just saying, how am I coming alongside this person with Jesus's compassion in accordance with Jesus's will? And that's where we lockstep together and walk together. Yeah. 
Couldn't agree more. Well, Dr. Allison, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I'm so thankful that you're willing to come on the podcast. And, and I'm thankful that you wrote this book, Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. Um, how, how can our audience stay in touch with you and get their copy of Embodied? Uh, so uh, it's published by Baker Books. So you can go on uh, Baker Publishing website. It's uh, available on Amazon. Uh, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> um, I can be reached at uh, my seminary at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. My uh, email is, is there on the seminary website. I'm glad to have conversations with people about this topic. That's so great. Well, we'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes for everybody. And, and again, thank you so much for doing this. And We'd encourage everybody to get your copy of Embodied. We know it's going to speak to you. It's going to be a great tool uh, that the Lord would um, use in your life for human flourishing. It's going to be awesome. So thanks again, Dr. Allison. Thanks, Brian. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.